Good morning. Hey, while we're collecting up our offerings, and I sure appreciate your generosity, is, is what you're about to do, is, as Maggie said, is going to affect lives immediately and hopefully eternally. Uh, we thank you for what you're doing right now. If you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be in verse 32 and following in just a moment. If you're visiting, my name's Mark, and I'm one of the ministers here on staff, and we're glad you're with us today. Uh, if you were with us here last weekend, uh, you'll know that Chad Ragsdale and I covered the beginning part of Matthew chapter 24 by answering some key questions to help us understand what Jesus was teaching and the significance of it for each of us. If you weren't able to be here last weekend, I would highly encourage you to go to our webpage, listen to it there at your computer, download it to a podcast, but it's, it was, Chad did an excellent job of explaining contextually what's important for us as believers today and what we're to draw from Jesus' prophecy about the end times. The disciples asked him three questions. First question was, when is the temple going to be destroyed? When are you going to establish your reign? And when is the end of the ages? Last week, we talked about Jesus answering the primary question about when his kingdom would come and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which happened in AD 70, when the Romans came in and wiped out the entire temple, took all of the gold and precious metals and took them into their own treasury. And Jesus forecast that. Uh, He gave them the signs that they needed to know. Well, set all of that up. I left out a part of last week's teaching that Jesus was using to bridge us into today's text. So let's just call it a reintroduction. All right, let's look at verses 32 to 35, where Jesus gives a parable or a thought, a word picture for us to connect to the teachings about what would happen in Jerusalem in their lifetime. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things, you know that it's near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. What we have here is Jesus bridging the first question answered by saying to them that in the spring when you see the tree begin to blossom that you know that fruit or the leaves of the tree are soon to, to come about. We know from nature. We see it all the time. When the weather changes in the fall and the trees begin to turn and the leaves begin to fall, we know that it's going into dormant season. In the spring, when the flowers begin to bloom and the rains come and the ground softens and, praise God, the snow and ice go away, we know that better things are around the corner. We know from nature that God has given signs of the seasons. Jesus said, like the fig tree, I have told you what's going to happen in Jerusalem, and I've warned you to prepare yourself for that, so when these signs begin to come, head to the mountains and don't be in the city because they will show no mercy. Historically, everything Jesus warned them and the signs that he gave them all proved accurate, which is why we focus on verses 34 when Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This generation, in your lifetime, these things are going to happen in Jerusalem Prepare yourself for them. Once again, the key verse that Jesus brought us last week was, the ones who stand firm to the end will be saved. Now, what's interesting is Jesus gives us small clues to answer the question, when will these things that you're talking about take place? Some of them he gave us clues and others he didn't. But the the greatest clue he gave us was, trust me, my words will prove true. Now, we live in a world 
where because it's been thousands of years since Jesus was here, people are wondering and doubting whether any of this is ever going to prove true because it's been such a long time. Listen to the words of Jesus. Hold firm. Those that hold firm to the end will be saved. What are we to hold firm to? Our knowledge? Not at all. We're to hold firm to Jesus. So I want to ask you a question this morning as we get this thing ramped up. Can you trust that Jesus tells you the truth? Okay, half of you decided to respond. Let's try this again. It's church, church. Do you believe Jesus is telling you the truth? He says, I will tell you that heaven and earth will stop existing if my words aren't true. He holds it all together. And he's challenging each one of us to know that even when we don't have all the details, he's got it under control. It's an introduction to the fact that if you trust Christ, the one God sent, he will deliver everything the way he says. It's not about our knowledge, it's about his reliability. Keep that in mind today as he continues on talking to us about some new questions asked and some unique answers. First of all, our our second point this morning is going to be, let's learn from history. Jesus gives us the history lesson that's helpful for us to understand the prophecy that he's walking us through at this moment. Let's begin in verse 36. No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in, that, in these days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. Jesus is saying something very prominent here to all of us. And he gives us a history lesson to understand it. But I need to give you a little bit of background. If you're using the New International Version this morning, if that's the Bible or app that you have open, and that's what I put on the screen, something significant is missing from verse 36. It's the Greek words that mean but concerning. And you say, so what? Well, it's important that that's there because what Jesus has done is he's taken one conversation and he slid it over to a new conversation. It would sound like this. If you and I were talking about the St. Louis Cardinals, and I said, yeah, but concerning the Cubs, what I've done is taken a a conversation I can't stand and put it on a better one. (laughs) When I said, but concerning the Cubs, what I was saying is, in like to our conversation here, I want to go in another direction with the conversation. In the Greek, Jesus is saying, but concerning the things that are going to happen in the future, A.D. 70, within 40 years of his saying this, The destruction of Jerusalem happened. Now he says, but concerning the coming of the Son of Man, which is a similar but different topic. Shake your head if that makes sense to you at all, what he just did here. If you read your translation, and that's not present in your translation, you can make a false assumption he's still talking about the same thing, and he's not. So that's the first little piece of background that helps us understand what Jesus is doing with the text. 
please note in verses 36 and 42 that talking about this new subject matter, he says two very important things for us to know. First, no one knows the day or hour. Verse 42, therefore keep watch. It's an interesting thing. He says, nobody knows when it's going to happen, including Jesus, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But he says, but be ready anyway, which is difficult. One of the things I could not stand growing up in our home, I had a great home. My mom and dad loved Jesus. They loved us. They sacrificed for us. You know, my brothers and I fought constantly, but we loved each other anyway. But one of the things I couldn't stand is I'm the third of four boys. My little brother is so much younger than me that he really wasn't in the equation of the scene I'm going to set for you. But every now and then, when my older brother Steve was old enough that he could watch us, my parents would escape. And they would say, boys, we're going away. But they wouldn't tell us where they're going, and I totally understand that now as a parent. And second of all, they wouldn't tell us when they came back, and that drove me nuts. Because when my dad left the house, he would say to the three of us, Here's some things I want done by the time we get back. Shake your head as a parent if you've ever done that to your kids. Shake your head if you should say, I'm sorry. <laughs> my dad would go out and he'd say, hey, listen, I want the dishes done. I want... Saturdays was always the day we stripped our beds and took it down. My mom did the laundry. We'd come up Saturday night. Our, our bedding would be on our bed and we'd have to put our beds back together. My dad would go out of the house and he'd say, your mom and I are going to go somewhere. We'll be gone a little while. Uh, I want the dishes done. I want the house swept and I want your bed stripped. Now, one of those was real easy because I wasn't responsible for Steve or Scott's bed. I was only responsible for mine. But the other two drove me nuts because my dad never made assignments. He just said, I want it done. Did I tell you I was the third of three? <laughs> Guess who was going to do it? Now, if I, if I wanted to wait around on principle to get my brothers to help me, what bothered me most is we didn't know when dad was coming back because my brothers were gamblers. Steve would be like, oh, we got time, we got time, we got time. And then they'd come in the door, and the day of judgment was upon us. <laughs> and it used to drive me nuts, because my dad, instead of looking at his oldest son and going, you should have seen that this was done, all of us got drilled. I hated it. So I'm not really happy that Jesus won't tell us when he's coming back. <laughs> because he's told us what would be the signs of the destruction of Jerusalem but he also would not tell us and could not tell us when he's coming back to set everything into perfection. Now, for some of you, you're bothered by what I just said because you're paying attention. Jesus didn't know something, and that bothers some Christians. It didn't bother Jesus. So let me ask you a real important question here. If Jesus is comfortable trusting a God who didn't tell him everything, are you? Some of us walk away from the Lord because we, we just don't know what he's doing and I can't follow a God who won't give me directions. Jesus would disagree with you because he told his disciples, God has not even told me yet when he's sending me back. But here's what he wants us to know. It doesn't matter when I come back. It matters that you know I'm coming back. Amen. See, I knew my mom and dad were coming back. So a lot of the times I would do the dishes and I would do the vacuuming and I would strip my bed and deep inside I prayed they came back before the other guy's beds were stripped. I'm not going to lie to you. Because <laughs> it just wasn't fair. But knowing dad would come home and honestly knowing that when mom and dad came home and things were done, it always ended up in a trip to Dairy Queen, I was willing to serve. But I hated the part that there were no assignments. We were all just to do the right thing in the time we had in front of us. That was hard. Uh, then Jesus does something amazing here. He takes us to the days of Noah. 
And he equates his return, and it's very important that you get this. He equates his return to Noah's day. He said in Noah's day, God said there will be a flood that will cleanse the earth of all humanity. And only those who build the ark and get in the ark will be spared. And yet he says in the days of Noah, people went about marrying and doing business and living their lives and and just enjoying whatever they wanted to do with their time and their resources. And Noah built an ark. And during all the times of the building of the ark, knowing that the, the rains would come, And when they came, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you want to look biblically, when the door gets shut, the rain starts. And when the rain started, the first drop hit the ground, the door was shut, and there was no getting in the ark. In the days of Noah, people were hoping it wouldn't rain. And then it did. And when the rain started, it was too late. As a pastor, I have to be real honest with you. I'm concerned some of you are betting it won't rain today. In fact, you're hoping it doesn't rain today. Because like in the days of Noah, you're making fun of ark builders. You're not building an ark. You're not preparing to get in the ark. You're not following God's commands. You're simply living your life hoping that at the first drop of rain, you can start getting it together. And I want you to know biblically and historically, when the first drop of rain landed, the door was shut. God's telling us it's going to rain. And some of us are thinking, eh, not today. This is the point Jesus is making. And some people have even taken verses 40 and 41 about two men in a field and two women working and one of them gone and the other. And we've created this pseudo-biblical doctrine because it's not biblical. And we've called it the rapture. That there's going to be this period of time before Jesus comes back that he's going to sneak in and take all the Christians away and leave all the heathens. Well, truthfully, you can't find the rapture in Matthew 24 unless you're looking for it. Because the example he gives is more about the days of Noah than it is about the future. He says, and notice, in the days of Noah, it wasn't the good that were taken away, it was the bad that were swept away. So you can't even draw that conclusion here. Now, I'm not against people... I'm not against people who believe in a rapture. I personally don't because I can't find scripture for it. But I understand why people teach what they teach. If you take these two verses out, it's really prominent. If you leave them in the story of Noah, it actually is antithetical. Because it was the bad that were taken away by the flood, not the good. And there wasn't, I don't know anywhere in the scripture about a silent return of Jesus. In fact, what I love is it says there's going to be a trumpet sound. That doesn't sound silent to me. That sounds awesome. That sounds like every promise he's ever made is going to be kept. And see, the truth is, as a pastor, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but I need to tell you what the Bible does say, not tell you what you want it to say. He's he's comparing these two verses in the story of Noah. When the door was shut by God, those that were outside instantaneously were wiped away by the flood. I think Jesus' greater point is, he's going to come back suddenly and the door will be shut and the rain will start. And there will be a division between those that got in the ark and those who are waiting for a better day to start building theirs. Shake your head if that makes sense. There's a suddenness to the return of Jesus that's undeniable from this text. You see, the point is, you just never know. And he's told us that. I'll give you signs about the destruction of Jerusalem. I won't give you signs about the end times yet. I'll tell you what I'll do, but I can't tell you when I'll do it. So he told us about a homeowner. 
He says, what I'm trying to get you to understand is if a homeowner knew there was a thief in the neighborhood, the homeowner would make himself ready for the thief. But the homeowner who doesn't believe there's a thief, he'll leave his house unprotected. Jesus said many people are leaving themselves unprotected from the fact that he's about to come back. So, having looked at the history lesson from Noah, how do we prepare for our future? See, the challenge of the text is, I'm going to give you two terms here. The challenge of the text is, don't be alarmed, be alert. I want you to think through this with me this morning. This is the most practical way I I believe we can understand the prophecy. Don't be alarmed, be alert. There's a difference. The unexpectedness, the unexpected return of Jesus will be that the ark is shut and the means of salvation is ended. When Jesus shows up, everybody out of the pool and there's no more I'm sorry, there's no more I'll do better, there's no more I'll live for you. You either choose to be alert and live for his return or you'll be alarmed when he returns. The alarmed will be those who go, oh no, it's raining. And what I mean by raining is R-E-I-G-N. The king of kings is back. Dad just walked through the door, and I didn't do what he asked me to do. And the others will be alert, because they're going to hear the car pull in the driveway. And they're going to go, I've been waiting for this. The bed's stripped, the house is clean. I did what my loving father asked me to do in response. Let me paint it real simple for you. I'm going to keep going down until I understand it. Hopefully I can get you there with me. Let's say a young man goes to college and he leaves his sweetheart at home. They love each other and they've talked about being married, but he needs to go to college and get his degree and they're in agreement that this is the right thing. And she looks at him with her beautiful eyes as he's about to leave for college and she says, I'm going to come see you a weekend this semester, but I'm going to surprise you. How then should he live? Walk with me in this. The women, you already know how he should live, and the guys are like, I don't know. Tell me. That's why I'm here. (laughs) Should he be flirting with waitresses and co-eds and spending time dating other women and doing other things? Should he be spending all of his money he saved during the summer buying pizzas and hanging out with his boys and having a big time? Or should he not be focused on her arrival? earning money, saving it up so when she comes, he can take her to go see a movie or go see a concert or take her to the finest restaurant in town. And maybe if he works hard enough and he's focused on his dreams and what he says he feels about her, maybe he goes and buys her something for her left hand. So when she arrives, he's surprised that when she gets here, but he's not surprised she's here. You see, the alarmed guy spends all of his money enjoying now And then she arrives, and he's like, oh, ugh, she's here. The alert guy says, I've waited all semester for this moment. And when she arrives, he's got gifts for her. He's got plans. He's going to take advantage of every second he has with this person he says he loves. Do you understand now the difference between being alarmed by Jesus showing up and being alert? See, the alarmed person says, oh, no, he's here. And the alert person says, I live my whole life for this minute. I've prepared with gifts and welcome and adoration and love, and I'm glad he's here. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but for some of us, I'm scared to death as your pastor that you're just hoping it doesn't rain today. And you're wasting every opportunity you have to give him the best welcome he deserves. And he deserves a great welcome, doesn't he, church? 
He, I mean, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he's Lord. Some of us will do it against our will, and some of us will do it with our full will. And this, I believe, is the point of Jesus' teaching. Many of us try to calendarize it. Well, this has got to happen, and wars, and rumors of wars, and then this, and then this, and then this. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you have no clue. In fact, your, your guess is the worst day to guess. Because God's not going to let anybody know. But like a thief in the night, an unexpected trumpet sound, and we're all going to look at each other and go, oh no, or oh yeah. And the difference between the two is what you and I do with every day of our life. You see, we're not to sit around going, oh, I can't have fun, I can't live my life, I can't uh, eat, drink, and, and marry, I can't do these things that everyone else... No, no, you do them for the glory of the king, not for the glory of yourself. So that when he arrives, you have something to give him. Not because he's going to go, what are you giving me? Because truthfully, this young couple in my little imaginary scene, when they see each other, she didn't come see him to get a gift. But he gave her a gift because she came to see him. And both of those have a beauty that's amazing. In the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, whoever he or she is, gave us numerous amounts of encouragement of how to be alert rather than alarmed. Just walk through these with me. Chapter 2, pay attention. Chapter 3 and chapter 10, hold on. Chapter 3, encourage one another. Chapter 4, strive hard. 6, carry on to perfection. Chapter 10, do not cast away your confidence. Chapter 12, run with perseverance. Endure hardship. See to it that you do not refuse. You see, living focused on his arrival is the call of every one of us who believes he's coming back. Because if you live not preparing for his arrival, it's because you don't believe he told you the truth. See, the reason I pressed you this morning a little bit to answer my initial question about do you believe Jesus is telling you the truth is because many of us believe Jesus is telling the truth and it hasn't changed a stitch of our lives. And that's a dangerous game to play. This passage tells us, be very, very careful that you're not alarmed and surprised that I kept my word. And we should live aware that he'll keep his word. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the Old Testament prophet wrote beautiful words. He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I'm here to tell you, I believe... Micah 6, 8 is the verse that each one of us should memorize. If you don't already know it by heart, memorize this and ask yourself today, have I loved or acted justly, loved mercy, and walked humbly with God? Because if you have, you are ready for his return. But if you don't, then you're hoping it doesn't rain today. Because rain means you're in trouble and that the ark is shut. Jesus closes his teaching in verses 45 through 51, with an example. It's a harsh example. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. But I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that, wicked, or that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time, and then he begins to beat his younger brother Mark. I mean, he beats his fellow servants. And to eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. 
He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't think he's playing. How about you? Now, some of you are saying, what? If I'm not like ready, if Jesus comes back and I go, oh, you're in trouble? No, no. What are you doing with the days leading up to the closing of the door of the ark? Are you building an ark as the Lord has asked you to do and make the ark whatever you want it to be? Because for some of us, all we're doing is watching other people build arcs and we're saying to ourselves, doggone it, I ought to build an ark. Well, I'm going to tell you, today's the day to build the ark because it will rain. And when that first drop of rain comes, he's going to shut that door. And you can pound on the door of the ark. You have been told what to do, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. It's interesting. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's how you prepare yourself for the inevitable. You see, one is alert, servant, and he asks his master, what would you have me do while you're away? And the other is alarmed that his master came home. And he took advantage of that time to not do what the master had asked of him. He did what he wanted, and he was alarmed. The alert did what the master asked him to do because he loved his master. When Luke tells the same teaching of Jesus, he adds three verses that are interesting. In Luke 21, 34, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. We can understand that, can't we, church? Say yes. yes. We understand what it means. Now, some of you are going, are preachers a drunk? No. But man, I get wore down with life, don't you? I get, everyone's telling me I have to have newer, bigger, faster, quicker, and I say it to me too. The world's telling me I'm not enough of this and I'm not enough of that. And we need to be doing more of this and this and this. And the world weighs us down and Jesus warned us. He said, that day, that day I speak of, when I return, will come unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Is that what you want, church? To be able to stand when Jesus comes back and say, I am unashamed of who you are and I have bet my life on you. Because if you are ashamed of who he is and living for him, when he comes back, you're going to be alarmed. And he said, like in the days of Noah, when the boat was shut, those who were outside were swept away, and those who were inside were preserved. The Apostle Peter would even equate the ark to salvation in 1 Peter 3. And in Luke chapter 21, in the 28th verse, Jesus says some powerful things to us today. He says, when these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws nigh. I'd like you to stand right now, if you would, just real quickly and quietly. Because Luke 21, 28, is the, it's the moment in today's message that's for every one of us to choose. And I'd like you to read it with me. Because if Jesus has risen from the grave, he says, so can you. And if he reigns forever, so will we. And if the one he lived his life for was a God who would deliver, then why shouldn't we? Some of us have never made Jesus Lord and Savior. We've never proclaimed him. It's, you don't accept Jesus. He accepts you. He offers you the free gift of eternal life. And some of you today are thinking, I don't want him to come back today. I'm not ready. Don't be alarmed, church. He's coming back. And all, the difference between those in the ark and those swept away 
are what do you do with his invitation to follow him? Get in the ark. Around this room are tables with lamps on them. We're going to pray this morning as we sing that you'll go to one of these tables and ask the questions that you need to ask to get the answers that you need to give because Jesus Christ is the ark of your salvation. And if you're not in him, you're going to get left behind. You're going to be washed away. You're going to be taken where you don't want to go. But listen to the promise of Jesus in Luke 21, 28. Let's read it together. And when these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. That redemption is our Jesus.